and welcome to Between Two Palms, a podcast about art, ideas, and making things. I'm Evelyn Lassery, co-owner of Two Palms in New York, where we're celebrating 25 years of collaboration with some of the world's top contemporary artists. In this episode of Between Two Palms, we'll hear from Marina Adams and Barry Schwabsky. Marina Adams is a painter based in New York and Parma, Italy. In 2016, she was awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship, and her large-scale abstract paintings have been commended for their undulating, interlocking shapes that reveal an internal rhythm as she fluently pushes color into form. Barry Schwabsky is the art critic for The Nation and co-editor of International Reviews at Art Forum. He is also a noted poet and author whose poetry collections include Trembling Hand Equilibrium from 2015 and Book Left Open in the Rain, 2008. After many years in London, Barry now lives in New York City. He has taught at Yale University, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, Pratt Institute, and Goldsmiths College. His essays have appeared in Flash Art, London Review of Books, Hyperallergic, and Art in America. He has said of being an art critic, our role is to develop and formalize the conversation around art, to circulate ideas and perceptions. In his 2019 Art Forum review of Marina Adams's paintings, Barry writes, color is just about everything in Adams' work, and everything seems animated, in movement. The energy impelling this motion is never agitated or frantic, but rather feels steady, relaxed, and spontaneously responsive. Viewing her work is like being in the passenger seat next to a driver who knows how to take the road with supreme dexterity and implicit attentiveness. You feel safe at any speed. From all of us at Two Palms, please join me in welcoming Marina Adams and Barry Schwabsky. First of all, I mean, I have to ask this of everybody that I talk to these days. How have things been for you since March? Well, uh, initially, we spent the first three months of lockdown in the city, uh-huh. in the loft. And in one way, it was fine. I mean, it got very quiet. Most of our neighborhood cleared out because we live practically on NYU's campus. So all the students left. The hotels were empty because the tourists stopped coming. And then everybody... And there appeared to be many who had other places to go left as well. So um, we could hear the birds. Uh And that was nice. But outside of that, there was that, with the news, kind Mm -hmm. of the terror of going out. But we developed a pattern, and I went out once a week to the farmer's market, open-air market. And then we just spent the time reading and drawing and cooking and taking a lot of baths. So you, you couldn't get to your studios. <laughs> Neither one of us could get to the studios. Uh-huh. And that's kind of continued. I'm trying to go once a week. I couldn't get there this week, but it's not the same. Yeah, yeah. once a week isn't a lot. It's not a lot, and also I don't work that way. I like going because I have to look. I have to let it settle in a way and let it come to me, and that is, yeah, it takes more. But in the meantime, I'm, in fact, doing some prints okay. and... Um, continued to do drawings and actually doing, I did a series of drawings that are out of the works in the sketchbooks that were put online. I think Salon asked me to do, we did a little video and I showed the sketchbook. So I've done on better paper, larger paper, 
a series of drawings that's going to be put out there at okay. the end of the month. Nice, yeah, nice. so that'll go out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I find that this period of where a lot of things have come to a pause, if not a pause, are being done differently, has really, for me and for I think a lot of people I talk to, you know, been a moment of suddenly taking stock and thinking through what one has been doing and wondering, is that really what I should be doing? Should I do something else in the future? Or uh, sometimes just not quite as dramatic as that, but simply reevaluating and revising one's mind. I mean, are you kind of experiencing any of that? Or I think what's happening, both in terms of COVID-19, the virus initially, and now, and more recently, the protests and just what's happening politically, yeah. the trouble has always been there. I mean, the police murders have yeah. been ongoing for, honestly, for centuries, but, yeah. you know, um, certainly for years. And it's a kind of an exciting time in the fact that I think that people have woken up in a way that they weren't. The timing is very interesting because from what I can tell about most of the protests is young people are really involved and it's all kinds of young people. And this I find is the only way, you know, things don't change if the majority doesn't get involved because the minority has been yelling and screaming forever. I do find it interesting that it's often been the African-American minority that has led the way. This is not, you know, news. If you look at all the progress for human rights in this country, it's pretty much across the board, it's been led by black folks. And um, and it is again, you know, but uh, at the same time, the difference to me now is that the world has shifted and young people aren't like their parents and grandparents and great, great, you know, and they're getting out there and people care. People are saying they care. And to me, that's very exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of restored to me the optimism that the COVID pandemic had sort of taken away from me. Yes. Particularly young people just kind of getting out there and just saying, this can't go on. We don't stand for this anymore. This is going to change. And uh, I I don't think they're going to give up. I mean, that's what's amazing that they seem so yeah. Determined. Well, yeah, I don't think they're going to give up either. And I I guess I can say our generation or older people need to support them in any way possible, mm-hmm. in any way we can. And so that's why talking about it, I mean, I, I guess I've done two things recently. One was an interview with the artist Arthur Pena, and the other is a podcast called What Artists Listen To. And I had some ideas, I mean... Uh, my choices changed, mm-hmm. and I ended up choosing mostly, I guess you could say, protest songs. Okay. And so that kind of formed, and, and I talked about it because the podcast was not just about your choice and a, the, a little bit of the soundtrack, but also why. And kind mm-hmm. of she wanted a story along with it, but mostly I just talked about the music mm-hmm. and where it came from. So, you know, and then as I say with the interview, I spoke about the drawings and how my thinking about the drawings and Everything plays into, everything's connected, you know. And the drawings are actually connected to the prints that I've mm-hmm. been doing at Two Palms. Okay. I'm trying to think which came first, but there's, it's something, I guess, that's been brewing in me. I've been wanting to work with line. Okay. You know, and there's something about prints that, I mean, they are unto themselves, which is why I love making prints, because I love, 
I love monoprints. I love etchings. I love, you know, I love the medium. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're all different and all fantastic. You know, where does it fit in my work? It's closer to the work on paper. And that just makes sense because it is ultimately work on paper. What surprised me about seeing them and even the fact that uh, in some of them line is so emphasized is part of this surprise is that uh, when I think about Two Palms Press, I think usually about things that are materially very heavy. They do all those things like with um, Mel Bachner and other people where they use that hydraulic press to make prints that are essentially relief-like. Of course, I haven't seen these in person, but when I look at the image, it doesn't look like there's any of that going on. Yeah, no, there's not. (laughs) I mean, I think that's very particular to the work that they developed for Mel. You know, a lot of really great artists work there. Sure. Like I've seen ones that they've done with Carol Dunham that use that. And uh, I think because it's such an unusual thing that they're able to do, uh, a lot of artists, when they see it, like to play with that. Well, I just started working with them. And so we'll see where I go. Uh, They do want me to make some screen prints. So that could be interesting. But I just started with the monoprints, which tend to be closer to painting on paper, painting, you know, directly. Mm -hmm. And they are one of a kind. Mm -hmm. They pulled out the gouaches, the oils, and I I tried a number of things, pastels, you know. What's great about, I think, printing and particularly working there directly on the boards is that it's very playful. It's like really playtime for me. And you just go into your zone. It's different. You're not in your studio. It's not, you know, paint on canvas. And you also, there's always the surprise element. For one thing, it's it's flip-flopped because it's the mirror image. And you just really never know what it looks like on the board Mm -hmm. or the plate Mm -hmm. and what it looks like when it comes out. It's different. And because of that, I think it pushes you to experiment. Yeah. And that's just fantastic. I'm curious about this uh, wood grain idea that's in some of them. How did that come about? That's because they gave me... I think the first time I went, I didn't want to work on the wood. When was this, by the way? When did you start on this? You know, I started right before, kind of just, you know, I don't know, a month or so before the lockdown. Oh, wow. It was really this spring. And mm-hmm. initially, I when I'd seen David at one of the print fairs, and he asked me if I would be interested in producing a print that would go for auction, because they're doing a big auction for Planned Parenthood to raise money. Okay. So, of course, I said yes. And then things just took off. I mean, they liked what I did, and I loved working there. So I went back, and I worked, I think, in oil paint on Plexi when I first went, as I recall. And that was great because I'd been wanting, you know, I paint in acrylic, so I'd been wanting to, thinking about oil paint, I used to paint in oil. But the combination of the, the virus, which was a lung, you know, it's a lung thing, and the solvents, mm-hmm. I didn't go back to it. After when I went back the second time, I chose to work with a water-based medium. And then, um, yeah, he, they pull out these boards. It's, so it's on wood, and it adds just a whole other element to it, which is really kind of wonderful. I started to develop, I wanted to work larger. I mean, the one I'm giving them for Planned Parenthood is, is actually a triptych. So we put three, it was actually three prints I did on the same plate. That's oil, in fact. And you use your, you use the residue, so the mm-hmm. what's left. So then I work back into it three times. 
you know, when I went to sign, I mean, they had them together and I realized, oh, that's fantastic. That's mm-hmm. one big piece. Okay, amazing. That was great. But then after that, I did want to work large. So that's where you see some of the first images that have the big shapes. And I'd been thinking about that because that's tied into, as I say, work on paper that I've done, both gouaches on paper and then also some etchings that I did with Van Deb, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. That's when I first went back to a print shop and I actually hadn't printed. I printed in graduate school and then I used to do line of cuts in my studio. You know, and then there was like a 27 year hiatus and I didn't anyway, and then I started again. So um, it's great, it's like back in my life. What do you think uh, brought you back to trying your hands at prints again? You know, I'd been wanting to, and again, I don't remember whether I started developing the lino cuts in the studio because that's something you can do yourself. Definitely seeing Monk's, Edvard Monk's prints, I've always loved. I mean, I love his work, but I love the prints. And so every time I see them, I go back and I think, oh, I want to make some woodcuts or lino cuts or something. And I can, again, do that. He did a lot of his own printing. And then the other thing was I'd run into Marjorie Van Dyke who I knew, again, many, many years ago when I was a graduate student, I worked at Bob Blackburn's printmaking workshop as, I guess as an intern, but it was kind of my work-study job. That's what I did. I had met Bob. He was teaching litho at Columbia. Uh, Although I didn't do lithography, I did etching there. I ended up anyway working at his shop and doing monoprints with artists. So he would invite artists in. I worked with people like Ed Clark. I met Ed, Al Loving. Uh, Herman Cherry. Yeah, Herman Cherry. I remember Elaine de Kooning coming in. Yeah, it's so nice to think about kind of being able to witness these elders yeah, at work. That's, yeah. That's wonderful. yeah, it was really great. But getting back to Marjorie, she had rented space and she printed and worked with artists as well. She's a real printmaker. Obviously, I was a painting graduate student intern, but that's where I met her. And then she opened up her own shop. I ran into her and she said, you know, you should come print. So anyway, that's when I developed. And I had this idea that I wanted to do with etchings where I I developed, I think, eight plates that were square that were maybe, I don't know, six by six inches and did a shape on each one. And then I could play with them in different colors and configurations. So even though they were etchings, each one was different. Right. And that was just really great. And then I did another series with them and then it was like all of a sudden, boom, Larissa Goldston from ULAE. I don't know how that happened, but she called me up, said, please come out. And um, Niels Borch Jensen, who I had known initially through Al Taylor, and then Stanley had worked there as well, but he wanted me to come to Copenhagen. Anyway, so that those were the first two uh, larger print shops that I started working with. Yeah, I'm interested in this idea, which... Clearly, the project you described where you had the six small plates that you could kind of reconfigure or recombine leads me to the thing that actually for me is the most interesting thing about prints, which is not, I think, the one that most people think about. People think about the fact that when you have a print, you can have multiples of an image, which of course, yes, you, you can. But what interests me more is the fact that each one can be different, actually, that you can keep manipulating Yeah, that was part of my thinking behind that first project, Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. And so each one is completely different. I altered. And what was great about it as well is that you have to be very calculated because especially in Marjorie's shop, she's the master printer. That's it. It's you and her. And there's only so much energy. So I would have to be very calculated about how to 
either keep the color or how to shift it. In other words, if I had made her wash the plates every time and start fresh, we would have produced less and um, it would have taken much longer. So, you know, one print always segued into another print and then that segued. And I like working that way. I mean, I feel that my whole practice has actually been developed that way, that the work feeds on itself to a certain degree. It's not that other things don't feed into it as they do me, but the work leads me. I don't like think, I'm not an idea person. I have ideas, <laughs> but I I don't, they, if even if I have ideas, I don't know, they don't necessarily come out the way, you know. Well, or you, you know. it's not that you have an idea that you execute you, and then exactly. to do another thing, you need yeah, to have another, another idea. idea. The, yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the thinking is all It's in dialogue with the totally. doing. Yeah. 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 Of course. And so what was the situation like when you were working on these uh, at Two Palms? So these I'd actually been thinking about. And, you know, I asked them for large boards and I just did a line drawing uh, with a actually a beautiful vermilion pencil that was also printable, so water-soluble, I guess, and just um, painted them in and it was like water. It just like flowed. I think they just started happening. And I was very excited because again, they are very connected to um, work on these gouaches that I do, which are singular called the New York series. And so again, it's like the work continuing itself. And then, you know, some of the smaller ones, the other ones feed back into work on paper and drawings that I've done. And even the, I think I did three lithos out at ULAE so I have done, you know, some multiples. And I did etchings that were multiples with okay. meals as well. And they're all, you know, they're all part of the body of work, but they're all different. And they're also different because each print shop is different. I try to think about the strengths and the capabilities that are possible with each shop. So I guess that informed the work to some degree. Yeah. And these monoprints on wood is something that they came up with. I haven't seen them anywhere else. So, and it's interesting. I, I can almost divide these into seemingly two groups. There are a couple of vertical ones where you've sort of, kind of divided the field in six, and each one of those six elements, or let's say cubbies within the space, seems to kind of sit in a very balanced way in relation to the others. And then there are these more horizontal ones. And there, the space seems very kind of accordion-like. It feels like there's this constant expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction. It seems like they're kind of two sort of main ideas that these are coming out of. I think that one that I we just looked at, you know, I think I started it as a vertical because I was working vertically. And a lot of my work now is vertical. But it moved well horizontally, so uh -huh. I switched it, uh -huh. yeah. You know, part of working is, is responding to what is happening and in the moment and going with it. And I think that's true in the studio as well, but it's certainly true in the print shop, or it's certainly true with my work. It also, you know, getting comfortable, I guess. You know, as I say, one day led me to a second day. I think I went three, three times up, up until now. And, you know, you work kind of blindly, as I said, and you work rather intensely. I mean, I sort of like to work straight through for hours and then um, leave. And then it kind of settles in you and you think about what you did and then it's exciting. And I think particularly as 
you know, in the beginning, it was nice to go to the print shop as opposed to the studio and try to open things up there. And were you pretty much on your own there, or, or are there a lot of people around? When no, you're they working? really leave you alone. But it, that may have been too that they, you know, people were starting not to come in okay. because, again, it was um, sort of right before and and at the beginning of the lockdown. But yeah, they really leave you on your own, and which is nice. And then you just, when you're ready, you just give them, and they they print the work, and they do that hydraulic thing. You're right. They the paper is actually thicker, and they press it yeah. down. You know, you learn from one print to the next. You sort of pick up a sense about what the medium and the process can be and what you can do with it. And then the other thing is is working on the ghost. So you get to go back into something and recreate it in a sense and change it. And that's really, I love doing that. You know, it's like how far can you take something? You know, how many iterations, I guess? Uh, how many times can you change it? And, you know, and there's such a history of... So many of the artists that I love have a history with prints. I mean, I think about Edvard Munch, but you can say Picasso as well, um, was so inventive and, you know. I'm a big fan of, uh, actually, of Mary Cassatt's prints. And she's someone who I think really instantiated what I was talking about before, about using prints in a kind of transformative way rather than in a reiterative way. Yeah, I agree. It, it has to flow. You can't, or for me anyway, if I overthink something, then it gets static in a way. So I have to just go and produce. And then that naturally feeds into, and, and again, I think that these works and the, this time in the print shop affected uh, the drawings and the sketchbooks, which then affected this new series of drawings that I've just done. So everything's connected. And so in terms of your pent-up desire to get back to the studio. How do, what do you see happening there? I mean, do you have sort of saved up things that you're meaning to do, or are you going to kind of more go into it as a kind of blank slate? I don't know. I mean, it's just really, it's kind of exciting, actually. I do. I have a show in January in London. and Oh, where's that? At Stephen Friedman oh, great. Gallery. Oh, good. I mean, I have a show that was supposed to open down at Modern in Fort Worth, Texas, so that will open in November, but they have all that work. The show is already done. But Stevens, I have to paint. And the thing is, and they keep asking me for work because I just put something. Did I send it to you? Anyway, I don't think so. Because you keep getting quoted. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, you did, Everyone, you did send that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone loves what you wrote about the show at Salon. Anyway, yeah, so I do have to get in the studio and work. But at the same time, I'm kind of enjoying this time, too, to, as you said in the beginning, to kind of just settle and, you know, let things formulate. So I'm trying to relax and let that happen and breathe. And then, you know, once I get going, I can produce, you know, I can, I'm not worried about it, but I also know that it's on me to, to get done. So Well, that probably will help you to get started once you get back there. I mean, it might be otherwise, I, I, don't you find that sometimes when you have to recommence something, it's a little bit slow to find your feet. But if there's a demand on you to do it, then you, you have make to, yourself yeah. just forge ahead. Yeah, plus I have this habit of, like I do have uh, a couple new paintings in the studio, but I, I act as if I don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think about, you know, my own mind, I have nothing. So um, I think that's partially my own playing, you know, tricks or something that, that way I always have work. 
But also I do, I like to paint paintings and have them sit around a bit so that they settle in me. So that, you know, I see, I guess, more slowly and I have to give it all time. Yeah, I don't really understand how people can just let things go out of the studio right away when they're finished. I know that sometimes they have to because there's a kind of, you know, they've agreed (laughs) to let somebody have it, but it seems like you'd really want to sort of sit with it There's a transition, I think, from when, or at least for me there was, from when I had paintings, you know, pile up for years. (laughs) And I got to really work slowly and let things, you know, settle in a way. And now when, yeah, there's more like of a demand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I I think that it's important to hold your ground and be clear on how you make the work. And 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 that that doesn't change. Yeah, I mean, I think, Maybe that's an advantage of your having, in a certain way, worked kind of under the radar for a long time, and you have a maturity that arrived before the moment when that demand happened that allows you, I would think, to to deal with it with greater sort of self-awareness and equanimity. And, uh, you know, I always wonder about young people who sort of suddenly experience this kind of attention and as talented and as inventive as artists as they may be, you know, they might not necessarily be kind of emotionally the best at handling that. And sometimes there's sort of odd consequences. Anyway, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, It's not that I didn't want to get the work done earlier. There was a lot of yeah struggle there, but it is what it is. And um, certainly where I am now is a good place. You know, I know what I'm doing. I know, uh, I don't know if I know what I'm doing. That's maybe not true, but I certainly have a sense of the work and I have a good sense about what to let out and when to let things out and where to even like, you know, I guess place things in a way and how to keep feeding the work and you know, fortunately, I was, I've was i been able to stop teaching, even though I love teaching. It's great to have all your time. Yeah. You know, for years, I wanted to get back to a print shop. So now it's great. I feel like I have a lot of opportunities. And that's that's really all you want, you know, as an artist. You want to be able to do as much as you can yeah. and to put as much as you can into the world. And you can't do that without opportunities. You know, and that leads us back even to why people are yelling and screaming, why Black Lives Matters, because people have been prevented. Very, very talented people have been prevented from putting the best of themselves into the world. And this is terrible for all of us. We all miss out when people don't get to rise to their own level. Mm -hmm. And that's really all people want. I mean, I think right now we need a leader badly. We need someone to clarify what's happening. We don't have a leader. We have a white supremacist. And, you know, the beehive has always existed, but he's over there pushing it around. So the bees are swarming and it's a dangerous time. And it's not good, as I say, it's not good for anybody. But I do believe that hopefully that we're ready for a change, that, you know, we really are. So I think that feeling of being ready for a change is sweeping the country. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I enjoy how the political time we're in allows us to talk about. And I do think that I mentioned that I just did this interview with Arthur Pena. And one of the things I talked about was the, I guess, similarity of what 
artists can do and do in their studios, what an artist does in its in their studios, and the kind of courage and risk that young people are taking going out protesting. There is a lot of risk involved with with making art and being a poet and, you know, putting, you know, being involved in the creative arts, I guess you can say. I just think that the courage and the risk, and I see that as all being very political. Maybe that's a, a beautiful place to conclude. Thanks. Thank you. Be sure to like and subscribe to Between Two Palms to hear more from artists, curators, and collectors. You can follow us on Instagram at Two Palms NY and visit us online at twopalms.us. On behalf of Marina and Barry and all of us at Two Palms, thanks for listening. Until next time.